So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me now. And we'll look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I'm hoping that the audio is coming through okay for you all. Okay, great. Uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 32 down to verse 36. From verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 10, it reads like this. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better position and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And we'll stop there this morning for our time, but let's pray now and ask for the Lord to bless us. Lord, thank you so much for our time now. Thank you so much for the technology that you give to mankind. And through the use of this technology, we can now gather together as a church, coming to call on your name, coming to worship you, and coming together to hear from you. Even though we're not together physically, even though we long to gather together in person, we are thankful for you, Lord, for these opportunities, these means that we can still gather together. And Lord, we are coming to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet with every single one of us now through your word. So we ask for your presence with us to be with every single one of us now. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the reason why I wanted us to consider Hebrews chapter 10 this morning is especially in light of our current situation with lockdown. And this passage really springs to mind of such interest to me because it tells us a little bit, historically speaking, of what the early church did when they became Christians, of how they lived their lives in light of the fact that they've now come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are Christians. They know what God has to say to them through Jesus, and they've received the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us a little bit of what their life was like after that happened. Because you can read in verse 32, it says, you know, the author is saying to them, these Hebrew Jewish Christians, he says, remember, recall what happened to you when you first became Christians. The word he uses is when you were first enlightened. And he goes on to talk about the things that happened to them, they were changed. Their life was different. They no longer looked like non-Christian people. And this passage tells us a little bit of what that change was like. And it tells us, well, why that happened. And in fact, the context of this letter, the book of Hebrews, is in fact the writer encouraging these Christians to keep on going, living the Christian life. They were changed because they came to believe in the Lord Jesus. And he's writing this letter to encourage him to keep on going, walking in that new direction and new way of life. Because they were suffering terrible things for being Christians. And they were very tempted, very much tempted to give up living the Christian life, to go back to the comfortable way that they used to live life. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them not to. And in this particular passage, he tries to get them to remember what their life was like when they first became Christians. And the reason why it's so helpful for us is it's like a 
a little reminder to us, a little model to us of how we should live our Christian lives, especially in light of the current lockdown. Now, what I really want to point you to is there in verse 33 and 34, we see that how the very first Christians in the first century who came to hear the message of Jesus, who believed in him as their Lord and as their Savior, as the Son of God come to rescue them and bring them back to God, it says there, if you read along with me from verse 33, they were sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partnered, partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What's of a special interest to me this morning that I want to help you to think about is that they were willing to be partners with those who were publicly suffering, publicly humiliated, and there were those who had compassion on those in prison, those who were arrested for their faith in Christ. This is talking about how they treated their fellow Christians. Now, we need to realize that back in those days, when Christianity was, was but a baby in its development, it was newly kind of preached as the fulfillment of God's promises, the culture that it came to, the surrounding society that it was born in, was not a welcoming one. The Romans detested Christianity, especially so towards the second half of the first century when you had emperors such as Nero, who styled themselves as gods. They told their citizens to worship them as gods. That's what the Roman emperors called their citizens to do, to make statues in their honor and to make sacrifices in their names. And you can imagine if you had such an emperor presiding over your country, your culture and your nation, and they said to every citizen, worship me as your God. And here comes along these Christians who say, there is no God but one, and there is no Lord we worship but Jesus. And in so doing, they refuse to bow down to the emperor. They refuse to worship the king who was calling upon them to do so. You can imagine that's not a popular stance with the emperor. And in fact, we know, historically speaking, there are so many historical records, non-Christian ones, that talk of how Christians were persecuted year after year by the emperors who were so upset and insulted by these Christians who refused to bow down to them. And not only that, but the Romans, they had their own religion. They had their own gods. They had Jupiter, which was, you know, their name for Zeus from the Greek mythologies. They had their own pantheon of gods to worship. And they themselves thought, well, why should I listen to these Christians? Because when the Christians came to me, they were saying, you are mistaken about who God is. Repent and turn and believe in this message. Now, that's not a welcoming message because they were saying to the Romans around them that you are wrong about who God is. You're wrong in how you live your life. Because if you're offering sacrifices to Jupiter, to Zeus, you're mistaken. You're worshiping a false god. Again, you can see why many in those days, they did not, they did not like those Christians. They, they persecuted them. They wanted them to suffer. They humiliated them. And not only that, but the Jewish people from which the church was born, they refused 
to accept Jesus as the Messiah. They refused to accept that he was the son of God. And so even the Jewish people who should have been the ones to receive and recognize Jesus from the very beginning, the vast majority of them, they they hated these Christians because they thought that the Christian message was a deceitful message because the Jews, the majority of them, and especially the religious leaders, they did not believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah. Well, you see, it's, it's not a good time to be a Christian from a physical point of view speaking in those days, from a you know, societal standing, from living a comfortable life. And we can see here that many of them were actually arrested. You can actually read about it even from the book of Acts. There in, in Acts chapter 7 starts the very first widespread persecution against the church of God. And it was started by the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who refused the message of Christ. They began to break into people's homes and to drag people who were Christians into jail. That's what they did. And what we're reading here in Hebrews 10 is that having many Christians into jail, what did the other Christians do? Did they distance themselves and say, oh, well, we have nothing to do with those guys. No, 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 we're not associated with it. We're not Christians. Don't arrest us. Is that what they did? We read here that they had compassion on those in prison. They were willing to be partners with those who were shamefully treated. These believers in those very early days, they were so filled with love and compassion towards their fellow believers that they were very well willing to be associated with those who were in prison. They had compassion on them. We read throughout the New Testament that they visited them. Now, you know, nowadays when we visit prison, we are not in danger as a visitor to those in prison. But in those days, if you were there visiting a Christian, that can only mean you're a Christian also. Why else would you care about these, you know, this newborn religion that the whole society rejects? If you are bringing them food and comforting them and having compassion on them, visiting them in prison, being willing to be associated with them, you must be a Christian also. You can see it's a dangerous thing to do. And many Christians would have been imprisoned themselves for visiting other believers in prison. But we read that the early believers, that is exactly what they did. They had compassion on those in prison. They counted their own lives and their own comfort, their own safety as of lesser priority than loving the other believers that they, they now know. Loving other brothers and sisters who are suffering for the sake of Jesus. They counted themselves as of less significance than their brothers and sisters. That is the level of love that they showed. And that is a, is a hard thing, isn't it? And this morning, we really want to ask ourselves, why was their lives so radically transformed and changed that they were, they were willing and able to do that? That that's how they lived. We can see from this passage that that is how their lives were changed. That's, that's how their lives were different from other people. But why is it that way? Well, the reason given is in verse 32. Read there in Hebrews. He says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened. 
right? The writer of Hebrews is pointing to a moment in their lives as a Christian where they were enlightened. That word really just talks about something being brought to light, something not previously known, now being known and understood and received and embraced, right? To be enlightened, we often kind of associate it with a spiritual sense, don't we? To now know this deeper truth that I did not previously know. But really the word just means to show light on something. And the author is no doubt in this passage pointing to when they first became Christians. Why did they become Christians in the first place? Because at some point in their lives, they were going along in their, in their normal lives. They were doing their thing, living life. They were probably worshipping the Roman gods that they were Roman. They were worshipping according to the law of Moses that they were Jewish. Now, of course, in this book, most of them would have been Jewish people, the Hebrews. They would have worshipped God according to the law of Moses. But at some point, they would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe a neighbor told it to them. Maybe a family member brought it home. Maybe they heard the apostles preach in public for themselves. But however it came to them, at some point in their lives, they heard the message of Jesus. And something happened within them. Light was shown in their hearts and in their minds and it clicked for them. They realized that this message about Christ was the truth. That it is truly what God has given to all mankind to believe upon. He has given his son in love so that through Jesus, we might have the forgiveness of our sin and acceptance with God. At some point in their lives, that happened. Now, the scriptures tell us clearly that that moment was because of the grace of God. God was the one who opened their hearts to pay attention to the message of Jesus. That's what Acts 16 says of Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to the message. Paul, the apostle, says of himself in Galatians chapter 1, he says, when it pleased God to reveal his son to me, then I came to realize who he was, and, and off he went, and his life was changed. Whatever, however it happened, there came a point with these Hebrew Christians where they came into contact with the message of Jesus. And God graciously and powerfully opened their minds and their hearts to realize that this message is the truth. That Jesus is the Son of God come down to save us. That he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. That he is the Lord of glory. And I must now follow him. Give to him my trust and my love and my allegiance. And that is what they did. But see what the author points to. It was because they were enlightened that their life was changed. See, as a Christian, your life is changed solely and purely through you coming to know who Jesus is, what he has done for you, what he is willing to bear and suffer in order to bring you to God. That is love. There's no greater love for this than a friend should lay down his life for his other friends. And that's what Jesus Christ does for his church. And these Hebrew Christians, they were enlightened. They realized that is what Jesus has done for me in order to bring me back to God. You know, that's what it means to be a Christian, that we come to know the love of God in Christ. You see, the Bible does not point to anything else as the definitive, you know, um, core essence of what makes a Christian. In our day, we so often think a Christian is someone who tries to do good works. A Christian is someone who goes to church. 
A Christian maybe is someone who thinks about spiritual things or who likes to read the Bible. But what the Bible points to is that somebody is a Christian when they have been enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus and they believe in Christ with all of their heart. They give their lives over to Jesus and they set their lives to follow him. In essence, you might say they've met Christ personally and therefore has been changed by Christ. Now, here's a funny illustration that I've heard very often. You know, when people come into contact with something, if that something is great and big and powerful, you and I should expect for an impact to be made, for a change to happen, right? Imagine if somebody came to you and said, I've just been in a car crash and someone just run me over. And you say, well, that sounds really serious. Well, what happened? And you say, well, they say, I've been trying to cross the road and this car comes down, you know, 60 kilometers down this road and it rams into me full speed because the driver didn't see me. You might look at your friend up and down and say, that can't be true. Why are you saying that? Because you just walked in the door by yourself. If you were in a head-on collision as a human being with a one-ton car at 60 kilometers per hour, you're not standing here. You're not going to be walking around as if nothing happened. We know that when, when things come into contact with each other, there must be an impact. And that impact is, is related to how big the thing in, in question are. Right? If you're coming into contact with a car that's moving, you're ending up in hospital, if not the more. We know that's true. That's common sense. And yet, when we think about people coming into contact with God himself, the very source of infinite love, and we come into contact not only with God in an abstract sense, but in the most real and personal sense possible, in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of God himself made man and not only made man and living a life as a servant, but being willing to be crucified under the wrath of God so that you might be brought to God and reconciled with him and have eternal life. That is the contact with God that we meet in the Bible. That is the love of God that we are coming into contact with. You think about all the sins that you have in your life, all the wicked thoughts, all the various ways that condemn you before a good and holy God. And we read that God in his love sent his son and the son in his love being willing to come and be on his body all of our sins and the Holy Spirit in his love being with Christ in his earthly ministry. And at some point in your life, if you were a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered your heart and enlightened your eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. To receive the love of God, what Christ has done for you. Just think about how much love that demands for a perfectly holy and righteous God to enter into a heart as wicked and as selfish and as unworthy of love as our hearts. That's why we read in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, Christ shows his love for us and that he died for us while we were sinners. That is the love of God. And what this is saying is that when 
a Christian comes into contact with God through faith in Jesus, through being enlightened to the truth of who Christ is, they must necessarily be changed forever. They must necessarily be a different person compared to when they didn't know Christ. They didn't know the love of God for themselves. And that change that the Bible says will happen is right here, that they will love others, love their brothers and sisters more than they ever thought possible that could come from their own heart. We read over and over in the scriptures that to love others, even to the sacrifice of ourselves, is the very sign that we ourselves know the love of God. Why? Because that's how God loved us. Jesus loved us to the point of shedding his blood for us. And he there leaves for us not only a model to follow, but he leaves to us the power to follow, the strength to follow. Because we know that he loves us, that we will be with him. And therefore we are strengthened and filled with the ability to love others. The Bible points to that love for others as a key sign and evidence that one has been born again, that one knows God. One of the most um, bluntest statements that you'll ever find is there in the book of 1 John, this letter that the apostle John writes. He writes over and over in his letter things such as, if somebody claims to love God, but they hate their brother, they are a liar and they do not know God. That's a blunt statement. But the apostle John is saying, how can someone claim to love God whom they can't see? And yet you can see in their lives that they hate and despise and doesn't want to have anything to do with their brothers whom they can see. That's just inconsistent. The Bible says that if you know the love of God, how can that not fill you with the desire to love others as you've been loved? If someone has forgiven you, how can you not want to forgive others? That's what we read of that parable that Jesus tells us of a king forgiving a servant who owed him so much that many lifetimes could not repay. And the king forgave him completely, freely. And yet this servant did not really understand what grace was being shown to him. When he saw another servant who owned him just a little bit, he threw that other servant into prison without being willing to show them mercy. That is a sign of a heart who has not truly been enlightened by the love of God. Really what I wanted to say to you this morning from this passage is something that I'm, I'm confident that you as a believer already know. You know that God has loved you with a love that is unimaginable, that is more than you could ever deserve by your own efforts, and yet he has poured it out upon you. If you are a Christian and you just take five minutes to think on Christ and the cross of Christ, you know in your heart just how deeply God has loved you. God, how deeply God loves you still. What I want to bring to your remembrance, just as the author does, is recall, look back on the love of God. Do not ever forget it. Ask yourself daily, am I living in the fresh experience of God's love? Do I live constantly drawing closer to God and growing deeper in the knowledge of his love? You must do. Why would you look for anything else in your day? 
Tell me what else is more important than drawing closer to God if this love is so wonderful and incredible. If you have tasted, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, you will draw near to him. What I'm saying to you is something that I'm sure finds a resonating place in your heart as a Christian. If you know the love of God, you will want more. You'll be an addict of the love of God. You won't have, you won't have enough. You'll want more. That is what God is inviting you to have more and more. But see, the second thing there is that the more you are enlightened with the love of God in Christ, your life will necessarily change. You will love others more. And what I'm calling upon you always to do as a church is to remember now in our current situation, you know the love of God. And what he is calling you is to love your brothers and sisters in the same way. To love your neighbors around you in the same way. To love your family and friends and, yes, even your enemies. That is how you ought to live. That's not just a nice platitude that I'm saying to you. In fact, because we read it in the scriptures, I can say to you this morning that in God's name, that is what he is commanding you. That is what he is encouraging you to do. That's what he's inviting you to do. That is to follow Christ, to love one another as of more significance and of more importance than ourselves. Well, you ask yourself that question this morning. When you think about lockdown now, you can think about your workmates and your friends, maybe people in your household. How do people go around lockdown? Just look at the news about panic buying. Most people think only about themselves. That's natural to human nature. We are naturally selfish, aren't we? We would go and panic buy and make sure that we have, what, multiple packs of toilet paper because we're not going to be lacking. No, not me. If others go, well, I don't know them. I don't have to care about them. That's what's natural to the human heart. Is that how you are acting throughout lockdown? Is that your attitude? You make sure that everything is well with you and your household? Or are you following in the way of Christ and loving your brothers and sisters, making sure they are okay, calling them and saying, how can I be praying for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Maybe I can go on a grocery trip for you. But walking as Christ your Lord walked, loving others and counting them as more significant than yourselves. Well, dear church, only you know the state of your heart before God. He sees everything. And I'm, I'm very confident that what I'm saying to you this morning is a reminder to you all. It's a reminder because you already know that is what God is calling you to do. Well, my friends, let us all call upon God and ask him for grace to help us to know more of the love of God each day and to show that same love to our brothers and sisters. We have need of endurance. We're just like these Hebrew Christians. It is hard. No doubt it's difficult. Whoever said it would be easy. But do we ever dare to imagine that it was easy for our Lord Jesus to walk to the cross? Do we imagine it was easy and comfortable for him to go and bear our sins upon his body? Christ did not do what was easy and comfortable. He did what was loving, what led to the glorifying of his father. And he calls upon every single one of us who believe in him to do the same thing, to love one another, not because it's comfortable, 
not because it's easy, but because we love as he loves us, because we want to glorify God, our Father. 